scriptures. I'm not going to start just yet, but I'll just give you a running start at the verses so you can get them ready. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 12. Two sections in scripture, Hebrews 12 and Revelation 12. Now let me just make a real quick little uh, commercial announcement. Uh, first of all, we've got these really pretty little Faith Christian Church information cards. And we got thousands of them, folks. So there's some stacks out there in the lobby on the little white information table. Take a stack of them. Keep them in your car. Keep them with you. And take them to the restaurants just before you go into the restaurant. Grab a couple of them. Leave them on the table. Oops, I left my cards on the table. And or share them with people. So let's take them. Let's use them. And the other thing is there's a stack of these, National Day of Prayer. It's the first Thursday in May. I want all of us to be there at 7 o'clock, Spectrum Stadium. We're going to gather with churches all over Central and North Pinellas County. And uh, let's see if we can break, I mean, the goal is obviously not numbers, but it would be great if we could break that 2,000 mark. Yeah. There's no reason why we shouldn't have 7,000 people there. All for the purpose of praying, praying for our community, praying for our uh, nation. So that is Thursday, the first Thursday in May. And that is at Spectrum Field. And you can take those cards with you and share them with your friends as well. They're also on that table. All right. Have you found um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22? Hebrews 12 and verse 22. I know that you think you've come to church this morning. And millions of people come to church this morning. Uh, all over the world. But Hebrews chapter 12 says this in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the assembly and congregation of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, who have been made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than Abel's blood does. Let me read that last part again. You come to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks something better than Abel's blood does. Well, uh, this is Holy Week. It's been Holy Week all week, and uh, it's Easter Sunday. And um, all over the world, everybody's thoughts turn to focus on Israel as people are retracing the steps of Jesus um, that last week when he entered on Good Friday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, different events that took place as he kept entering Jerusalem day by day, and right up to the crucifixion and then his resurrection on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. And um, right now, Jerusalem is just clogged, filled to overflowing with pilgrims from all over the world who want to see where Jesus was. They want to be, be where he was. They want to, is this, is this the place where he prayed in the garden? Is, is this the place where, where they crucified him? And they, they want to be in those holy places. Yeah, I remember I was offered two free all-expense-paid trips to Israel. 
Members of our church were all going, and I got to go for free. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. Two times this happened. Both times I didn't go. It wasn't that I didn't want to go. I just, things came up, and I wasn't able to go. And I always wrestled why I didn't take those opportunities, why I didn't take those free trips to Israel. I mean, every Christian wants to go to Israel. And I know I'll be there one day. Um, I don't know when. Okay, we'll probably all, well, we'll all be there together one day. But I wrestled with myself. Why wasn't I jumping at the chance to go? And in the final analysis, I realized I'm more interested in being where Jesus is than where he was. I don't have a religious background. All of you, most of you know I came out of atheism. So I had no prior religious affiliation. There was nothing in me that inclined that way. So when I met Jesus, I met the Jesus who's reigning from heaven for the right sin. That's where I've always been interested in where he is. I want him here with me everywhere I go. I want him to be in the midst of us. And I love history. I'm a history buff. And I, I taught courses on the Old Testament in college. And I even wrote a course on the history of Israel so I really enjoy all of that stuff. But, you know, that's where he was. We need to know where he is. And unfortunately, the church today is well-versed on the path Jesus did walk, but don't know where he is today. Don't, you know, they don't know what heaven's like. And not that we, um, uh, you know, not that we're talking about being mystical, but the basic things about Jesus being in heaven and why is that significant and what is it about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know, we need to be dialed into that. We really do because the Bible says we are seated with him, not in Jerusalem, but in the heavenly places, in what the Bible calls the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Which one day down, if you look down through the, uh, through the corridors of time, one day, and it may not be that far off, that new Jerusalem is going to descend down out of the spirit realm, and it is going to sit where Jerusalem presently sits. And the world, the earth, and specifically that New Jerusalem will be the capital of the universe. And won't that be interesting? But today we want to be where Jesus is. Can you say amen? amen. And so we're pretty familiar with the activities of what went on on a Good Friday when, he, when they called it the triumphal entry when he came in riding on a donkey and the children were going Hosanna and everything. And people were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Of course, several days later they were saying, crucify him away with him. Um, it, was a, it was an intense week, and we're familiar with the different things. He drove the money changers out of the temple, and he healed, and, and uh, various things, various things that he said and did. But um, what was the most impacting and the most significant was what took place that Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead, and the perhaps hours, we don't know what the span of time was, Right after that event, what took place in heaven? That's what we need to be dialed in on. Let me read you an excerpt out of the book of Revelation, chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 7. And it's, uh, it is an account from heaven's perspective of when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended up. And the Bible says that he first went in and freed all of those in the Old Testament, all the, the, uh, the Jewish believers who had, had, had uh, been in faith 
Abraham and David and all the others that died in faith, reaching out for the Messiah, but never grasped him. He hadn't come. So think about what faith does for us because they actually died face down in the dirt, reaching out for a Messiah that didn't come in their lifetime. But when he did come, he got him and picked him up. And when he rose up on that third day, he led a train of captives to liberty. Hallelujah. They were all behind him, and he led them into glory. Can you say praise the Lord? So this is an account of Jesus coming up to heaven's gates. Listen. Revelation 12, 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. And the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So there was no longer any place left in heaven for him and his angels. So that huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels along with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of His Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God, has been thrown down. But they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, you heavens, rejoice. And all who live in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with terrible anger. For he knows that he only has a little time. The most pivotal event in human history was the moment Jesus approached the gates of glory. And the Bible says, if we read the account in Psalm 24, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. For the King of glory shall come in. And then they shouted in heaven. And the gates shouted, Who is this King of glory? Obviously a rhetorical question. The Lord of hosts. The other half of heaven responds, He is the King of glory. So I want you to see the scene. Here comes our Savior. His wounds have closed up, except for the prince in his hands and feet. He is cleaned up and filled with light and resonating with the glory of God. He is life, and he's filled with the life that just killed death. He just bumped off death. And here he comes, and look, there are thousands, maybe millions, behind him. He's leading them in, and they're called the freedom train. Hallelujah. And uh, they've gotten on board. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm, stop trying to coax me. And um, he leads them through the gates as the gates lift up their heads and they open their doors. The king of glory is coming in now. That is a dramatic and an awesome scene. And the thing that's amazing, it's not a dream. It really happened. A little over 2,000 years ago, that event took place. But it's what it did in heaven that has such a dramatic impact upon your life today.
Because the Bible says that his entrance into heaven forced the eviction of the accuser of the brethren. That is absolutely earth-shaking piece of information. How many Christians have gone through their lives, or maybe you even today still secretly, if you haven't articulated it, have wondered, does the devil do to me what he did to Job? Does he go up to God and talk about the things that I do wrong? When I mess up, does the devil see it? Does he know it? Can he get inside my head? Is he, is he ratting me out to God? Is he, is he uh, bad-mouthing me? Is he bringing up all of my mistakes to the Father? And then the really horrible part is God said concerning Job, well... All right, all that the, uh, the devil accused Job. He said, well, you know, look at what you've done for him. You've blessed him. He's prosperous. He's got a great big beautiful family. He's got a perfect life. Of course he praises you. But, you know, if, uh, if all that stuff were taken away, he wouldn't be praising you. And the Lord said, well, look, everything he has is in your hand. You can't kill him. I don't want God doing that to me. Have you ever worried? Have you ever thought maybe does, does God, does the devil come up and say, uh, you know, that's so and so, and then lay a case out and God steps aside and lets them at me? I don't want that happening. But that used to happen when, when heaven had a policy that permitted the accuser. So during the age of the accuser, the devil somehow or another had access to heaven. And we see that scene in, in Job chapter 1 where the Bible says God and his angels are gathered and they're having a big conference and up comes the devil into the conference. And they have the discussion about Job. What about Peter? What about the day that, um, what about the day that Peter makes this big brag and he says, you know, I will never deny you. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, I have bad news and good news. The bad news is, of course, that you will deny me three times before the, before the rooster crows. And he says also to him, the devil has, and in the original Hebrew text, it actually says, the devil has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So when you're converted, go strengthen your brethren. Yeah, I don't want to be in that position either. I don't want to be in the position where the Lord says, the devil demanded to sift you like wheat, and I'm afraid he gets to do it. But I prayed for you that you'll rise out of the ashes. I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. And especially after reading the the book of Acts and reading the New Testament and seeing what the Bible says about the covenant that I have with God, I realized something took place when Jesus rose from the dead that changed the administration of heaven. It changed the way we are represented before God. There was a kind of access that Satan once had that he no longer has. Did you catch it when I was reading that when the gates begin to lift up, the first thing that happened was war broke out. It probably didn't last long. 
war broke out and Michael and the angels of God went and attacked the devil and all of the fallen angels, the accuser of the brethren. And it says they prevailed against them and cast them out and never ever again was their place found in heaven for them. I've come this morning to tell you that God has not listened to the devil utter one word in over 2,000 years. You can take that to the bank, honey. Let me tell you, God doesn't listen to Satan. He doesn't have to. Why? Because Jesus entered through those gates as, and I think it was Jacob said earlier when we were praying, thank you for being our advocate, whoever lives to make intercession for us. Why is God not permitting a single accusation to even make it into heaven, much less for him to listen to it? Because Jesus is advocating on our behalf. The Bible says the blood speaks. The blood of Jesus. Jesus brought his blood up to heaven, and that blood is talking. And it's saying something much better than the blood of Abel. The first victim of a murder, the first victim of a sin was Abel, and his blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. We need justice. We need vengeance. Listen to the world today. Put on the news. We are at the brink of tearing ourselves apart. And the world is not going to change until Satan is cast out and Jesus returns. Up until that time, strife and wars and rumors of wars are not just going to continue, they're going to increase. Families are going to continue to rise up and join together only to be ripped apart from within as the accuser speaks to men and women in their minds and in their hearts and insinuates himself into their lives and they follow him and they let him talk to them about themselves. But that doesn't happen in heaven. In heaven, the Father only hears what the blood of Jesus says. That daughter of mine is redeemed. She is a princess with God. She is my child. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. It was the blood that evicted the accuser out of heaven. That was the real triumphant, triumphal entry, was when he entered heaven's gates on your behalf and my behalf. Can you say amen? amen. Now, why was the devil allowed in heaven in the first place? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes we drop in on the Bible. Oop, where'd my Bible go? used to be sitting. The one time I go to reach for it, and it's not there. I was using it as a pillow, so I think it's sitting right where it is. Oh, thank you, honey. All right. I was referring to my wife when I said, honey, and just... Uh... Um, so at any rate, you know, we open the Bible, we drop in on these verses, and we don't ask questions about, what? that don't sound right. I want to understand that. So it's good to have an inquisitive mind and because God is righteous and God makes sense. Let me say it again. God makes sense. Now, if you've got a twisted up mind, when God makes sense, it may not make sense to you because your twisted up mind's got to get straightened out. But you stay in the Word of God long enough, let the Holy Spirit deal with you, God will untwist your mind. All of a sudden, the things of God will make perfect sense to you. One of the things that never made sense to me was, why was the devil 
up there walking around with the angels of God, able to address God about Job in the first place? How was he able to go to God and demand to sift Peter? Why was he, why was he able to get that kind of access? Um, well, God's beloved man and woman, Adam and Eve, they invited the devil to come home with them. They opened up their house to him. They took him in. And he took over. He takes over wherever you give him place. You can't tame him. You can't keep him. You can't control him. You let him into your house, he will take over real quick. How many of you have ever had a daughter or a son and you just love them and they grow up and then they get hooked up with some goofball and your precious little girl is out there and living with some whack job, some nut, but you can't do anything about it. Or your son. You know, uh, I remember our son when he was out living on his own and everything. He had a roommate. We have, I was stunned when I found out who he was shacked up with. And that only lasted a little while. Um, but I thought, I need to do something about this. And you know, you know how you get your kids, your grandkids. You know, they're, they're living and they've got somebody. They're romantically involved. And, and, uh, and the fool that they've let into the house is running their life, messing with their head, eating all their food, spending all their money, won't work, laid up. You know what I'm talking about? And you know you want to go over there and just get your gun out and just, look, I can solve this problem. Re easy, I can solve it right now. If you won't put them out, I can put them out. I, I know how to show them the door. Are you listening to me? You, why did God put up with the devil? Because he loves us. Why do you not go over there and, and just raise hell with your son or your daughter or your grandchild? Because you love them and they're all bound up with this creature. And so you've got to convince them to unconnect themselves. Because if you go in and blow him away, down goes your son, down goes your daughter. So God loves us. That's why he put up with the devil. Adam and Eve, they let the devil come in, and he took over. And there he was. And uh, when, when God was considering people and considering the human race, uh, the one that Adam and Eve were shacked up with showed up. He was up there in heaven. And you know how it is if you've ever gone through that with your kids. You have these, uh, like today, you're probably going to have a little family gathering and how awkward and abrasive, but you, you're on your best behavior, you, you use manners and everything, but that son or daughter comes over and they bring, uh-huh, you know who with them. And there they are, and you know you want to just smack that food right out of their mouth, um, but you can't do it because you know what a louse they are. But you have to wait for your son or your daughter to, that's right, like the prodigal son, wake up and go, I'm, I've had it. Look at me. I'm eating, out of, I'm eating the pig's food in my father's house. And you know the whole story. I won't go through it. So this is why God put up with the accuser. The devil was simply using and operating on the access of the relationship we gave him. But when Jesus entered heaven, he, didn't, he wasn't just God returning back to heaven. He was the God-man. Remember, he had been made flesh, never to be separated again. On Calvary's cross, Jesus didn't just like a pilot ejecting out of a burning plane. He didn't just eject 
the, the human part of him out and say, oh, this is over with. I'll never do this again. Go back to heaven. Got his throne, got the angels, and everything's good. When he became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that was eternal. The God took on humanity. So when Jesus enters heaven's gates, man enters heaven's gates. And that's why he's got all those people from the Old Testament, from the covenant of Abraham, who believed and died in faith. He's got them with him and he's bringing them in. They're redeemed. And nothing the devil says about them. You know, the devil would have loved to have hung out there at the gate and say, you're letting him in? David, do you know what he did? He would have just kept yapping and yapping. But God said, I have redeemed them. The precious life of my son was laid down as a man, as a person for the human race. I accept that payment for sin, and he rose from the dead to manage the salvation of all that put their trust in him. Glory to God. So that's why the accuser was cast down. And so when, when the gates lifted up their heads and the doors were opened, the days of tolerating the accuser were over with. But the Bible says that though he can never enter heaven again and, he, and his accusations never go before God, he was cast down where? To the earth. And he is mad. The Bible says he's infuriated, having great wrath. So everything the devil does now as the accuser he concentrates all of his energies and efforts on you. He talks to you about you. He used to talk to God about you, but now he talks to you about you. Anybody ever experienced the devil talking to you about you? Yeah, sounds a lot like your voice too, doesn't he? He, he can mimic you. He can sound, sometimes he sounds like your mother. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Got that familiar? Oh, yeah. There's dad harping again. Um, so he can't just bang his way into your life. He has to speak his way into your life. He has to say things. And the only way he can get you to stop looking at the Lord, lower your head, maybe start following some distractions, is to point out to you that you're really no longer worthy. God is very disappointed with you. Listen, your sin is between you and Jesus. And there's no devil up there who's talking about what's going on. God is up there working it out through the blood of the Lamb. You know, you can come to church and you can repent in church. And some churches, you know, they'll forgive you, but they'll keep their eye on you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're forgiven, but you're not getting the car again. See, we do that. People come to us, they do us wrong, we forgive them, but, uh, you know, it's over with. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but because we don't have any power to change them. But when you go to heaven, when you're praying, you're in heaven. When you're talking to the Lord, you're in heaven. You are seated with Him in the heavenly places. And uh, glory to God, you're sitting in God's office. That, that's where your salvation is on file in the office of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And um, he's got the mercy and the grace and the power to change you and work things out in your life. So even if he rebukes me, I love it. Like, go ahead, rebuke me. I feel alive. I feel wonderful. Even when I mess up, I'd rather have God deal with me. Because in his rebuke 
is healing, is deliverance. He does everything to help develop me as a son and you as a son or as a daughter of the Most High God. So your salvation's on file in God's office. And uh, the investment of your salvation is being managed in heaven, not upon the earth. Faith Christian Church is not negotiating the terms of your salvation. Whether people accept you or don't accept you has no bearing on the negotiation of the terms of your salvation. Those terms were worked out on Calvary, and they were brought through the gates of glory, and they're on file in the office of God. Let me tell you, his office is the most secure place in all the universe. Can you picture the office of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. I mean, just picture it. I mean, the, the desk is made out of the wood of the cross. Hallelujah. The floors are carpeted with wall-to-wall -wall truth. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 89, your word, O Lord, forever is settled. In other words, they rolled it out and paved heaven with it. Everywhere you go in heaven, it's nothing but truth. There is no accusation. There is no lie. Everything is right. The church needs to get back to fellowshipping with God in heavenly places instead of worrying about what everybody else thinks. Am I singing too loud? Or uh, I don't need to do what everyone else does. You know, when we come together, we need to act like we are fellowshipping in the heavenly places. Because you'll never go where your faith isn't. Uh, you know, on the desk of God, there's a telephone. Some of you maybe have, have worked as administrators. Remember the old days, the telephone would have like six or seven buttons on it. You could hit line one or line two or line three. The phone lines went all over the places before the digital technology took over. But God's got a phone on his desk. It's got one line. It's called the bloodline. Every time there needs to be a consultation, he picks up the bloodline. And the bloodline says one thing. I'm saying better things than that of Abel. Yeah, they deserved vengeance, but I'm giving them mercy. I'm pouring out grace. I'm pouring out loving kindness. Everything that God promised to Abraham, everything that God told David in the Psalms, everything the prophets prophesied about came to pass in Jesus Christ. When he walked into Jerusalem, he entered in as Lord of Lords and King of Glory to become the sacrificial lamb. And you know, humans, we misunderstand, we miss it, we always do. But isn't it amazing that when we were crucifying Him, He was loving us. When we were our worst, He was His best. When you figured, that's it, I'm finished. I've denied Jesus Christ. I'm standing with those that said He can't be the Messiah, I don't accept Him. That it's too late, He's already died for your sins. All you have to do is realize He's God, and give yourself to that fact. Lord, I receive you as Lord of my life. That's why the sinner's prayer is the easiest prayer you'll ever pray in your life. All you have to do is say, I don't have to create salvation with my prayer. It's a done deal. It's already done. All I have to do is acknowledge the fact and give myself to it in faith. Lord, you are Lord. Come in and be Lord of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. So, the blood is up there speaking. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, 
holy brethren and sisterin. It is the 21st century. If I don't put that in, I could end up arrested at the end of the service and be hauled off to political correctness jail. So, um, brethrens and sisterins, you share in the heavenly calling. Therefore, consider Jesus. Everyone say, consider Jesus. The writer says, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of your confession. Now, the word apostle means the sent one. High priest, we know what that means. He is the intercessor, the advocate, the intercessor. The Bible says that Jesus entered heaven with his blood. The blood is ever speaking. The blood sits in heaven as God's eternal proclamation that what Jesus did, he did for you, and you are his child. Saved, healed, delivered, and blessed according to the covenant of God. So, Jesus ever lives to make that intercession. Every time you meet him, that's where he's standing. He's standing in the blood. That's his position. Always in the blood. Everything was reconciled through the blood. But the Bible says that as the high priest, his high priestly ministry only works effectively in your life when you cooperate with it through your confession. The Bible says he is the high priest of your confession. So the fact that Jesus is a high priest victorious and has died for the sins of all people is a fact that cannot be challenged or undone. The accusers cast out. And as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That phrase, it is finished, sent shockwaves through the spirit world because it was the end of Satan's reign and the end of his tyranny. It would only be now a handful of hours before war would break out as Jesus approaches the gates and the devil is cast out. So that is a fact established in the heavens and it cannot be undone. However, the fact that Jesus has healed me, the fact that Jesus has delivered me, the fact that he has saved me, these are all facts that have yet to become a reality accessed in my life. How does it happen that Jesus' intercessory ministry is able to impact me and have a difference in my life? Come on, some of you are going to love this. Some of you are not going to like it so much. He is the high priest of your, and in the, in the Greek that this was written in, the word is homologia. Two words brought together. Homo means human. Logia means God's word. Homologia means to say the same thing as God. Not just to mentally agree with God, but to say the same thing as God. In fact, Jesus had the Apostle Paul write down a little uh, insight into this in Romans chapter 10. He said, don't say who is, who is able to ascend up to heaven to bring Christ down, or who's able to descend into the depths of hell to bring him back up from the dead. We can't ascend up through our good deeds, nor can we buffet ourselves and humble ourselves and so, because it's not necessary. Jesus died, went down, and Jesus rose. He did it. So Paul writes and he says, the word of righteousness is near you. The word of faith is near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may do it. 
Faith is something that you do. It's not something you believe in. And your beliefs aren't really faith until you're doing them. Otherwise, they're just simply a library of, of beliefs that you have. But what God has done for you and I is made actual by our homologia, by our saying the same thing as God. So let me just wrap this up um, and uh, make this simple point. Say what the blood says. Say what the blood is saying about your life. You see, what happened in heaven when Jesus went through the gates and the gates lifted up their voice and they said, let the king of glory come in, the king who is mighty in battle and the Lord of hosts, and they received him. And the disciples a few years before said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the reason they said, teach us how to pray, is because they saw Jesus on his way into Jerusalem walk by a fig tree one day that didn't have any fruit on it. And Jesus turns to the fig tree and he says, no one eat fruit from, from you from henceforth forever. And the next morning they walked by the tree again, and the Bible says it had withered and died from its roots. They saw that Jesus' word spoken to the roots of that tree killed it from the roots up, and it was dead. And when they saw that, they saw how that Jesus' prayer had power. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We want to pray effectively. And so Jesus said, all right, formulate your praying around this basic structure. Our Father in heaven. Why? Because that's where the desk is. That's where salvation is. That's where you are seated. The accuser isn't up there, will never be up there. You're safe up there. Work it all out up there. Hallelujah. And then he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth like it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus was saying to the disciples, Act like the doors and gates of heaven, and you'll see the power of my kingdom show up in your corner of the world. We think that we're supposed to walk, run around and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that it's like a magic phrase. Just say, your kingdom come, your will be done, and God is just going to do it. But kingdom come and will be done is not something we say, it's something we do. The gates of glory actually had to lift their heads. You have to lift your head. The gates of glory had to actually open. You have to open. So when Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, in earth as it is in heaven, he was saying, if you want me to come into your family, if you want me to come into your area of operation where you have relationships or you have business, if you want to see me be with you like I was with Joshua or like I was with Moses, then you're not just going to say your kingdom come, your will be done. You're going to do it like it was done in heaven. You see, this is why the church has been robbed. We've learned historic facts and we haven't learned the actual meaning of what happened behind them. We see Jesus going through Jerusalem. We see him going to the cross and raising from the dead. But then as he ascends up into heaven, we lose sight of the vision. We don't know what's going on. We better know what happened when Jesus got to the gates of glory because what they did is what we have to do. And the Bible says if we do, God's kingdom will be manifest here 
in our life. You absolutely can walk in dominion over the enemy. You can keep the devil out of your life. Now, you can't change circumstances. The world is the world till Jesus comes and overthrows. In other words, puts that guy out of the house that your loved one let in. It's going to one day return himself and evict him. But until then, we can evict him out of our little world, our little life. Whatever you can manage. You can't change what happens from without, but you can manage what happens in here with you and the Lord. Lift up your head and say the same thing as God. How many of you know we need to elevate our conversation? Oh, I tell you, I would love to see the day when we gather in on a Sunday morning and as people come through the door, instead of all the silliness and all the stuff we're saying, I don't know about you, but sometimes I leave church and I think to myself, why in the world did I say that dumb thing? We get around our friends and we get around people and we say silly things that are just meaningless because we don't know what else to say. And so we say dumb things. And wouldn't it be awesome if when we gather together, we start saying what the blood is saying? If you and I would begin to practice talking the covenant, talking about what God is doing, speaking in agreement with the blood, we would see Jesus, the high priest of our confession, manifesting in power. Come on, church. Manifesting in power. We would see what he's interceding over manifest and come to pass. We need to elevate our conversation a little bit around here. What do you think? Praise the Lord. You know, it says in Malachi, then those who respected the Lord spoke to one another. I sometimes wonder who is respecting the Lord when I listen to how we talk to one another and the things that we say. But see, in heaven, they are speaking truth. God is speaking truth. Jesus is interceding constantly. In our, the blood is speaking. What are we speaking? What occupies our mind? What are we talking about? And, you know, it's okay to be interested in sports and it's okay to be interested in remodeling your house or, uh, you know, you're going through struggles and trials. Now, that's one thing I don't understand. I don't, I, I'm, I'm being metaphorical. I do understand it. I just wish I didn't have to understand it. That people love to talk about the awful things that are going on in their life. They like to go out and eat and talk about it. Now, I go to a lot of prayer meetings. I go to a lot of intercessory meetings. You listening to me? Nobody can gossip like an intercessor. <laughs> Intercessors get together. They love to trash talk. It's unbelievable. You would think Christians would get together and pray the answer. But not until they've taken 20 minutes to lay out all the dirt. And everybody else has to listen to that nonsense. I think to myself, what in the world? Do we know that we've gotten saved? Do we know that we're born again? Obviously, we know we don't have to inform God about the details of the situation. He knows. The Bible says those that respect the Lord spoke to one another. What do you think they were speaking? They were speaking their respect for the Lord. And the Bible says, and the Lord took notice. Oh, glory to God. You want the Lord to take notice when we gather? You see, when he takes notice, demons flee. 
When he takes notice, the dead rise. When he takes notice, sicknesses are healed. God's people come in time and time again, dragging the same problems, the same conditions. But when the Lord takes notice, those things leave. They're not part of your life in heaven, and they don't have to be part of your life on earth. He is a deliverer. We need to upgrade our speech, church. We need to upgrade what we talk about if we want the Lord to take notice. He is the high priest of your confession. Isaiah 52 says, The watchman upon the wall, the prophetic people in the body, in your own home, you're the watchman on your wall of your house. I hope you're not leaving it to somebody else. You're it. Over your own life. Don't expect somebody else to be your intercessor. You stand for your own life. God's made you a priest over your own life and over the things that He has given you a stewardship over. The Bible says your watchman shall lift the voice and with the voice together shall they sing for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings again the triumph of Zion. And so once again, we see God showing up when people get lined up with what he's saying. And the Bible says they saw eye to eye and they started speaking one to another. The things of God. Hallelujah. Well, I want you to close your Bible. I want the servers to come up. And uh, we are going to close our time this morning at the table of the Lord.